Blog Talk Radio. From Live in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Hey there. Welcome to today's program, pre-Thanksgiving. I bet you're ready for a break, um, even if it's a brief one. Um, We're going to solve some problems today today's program. Of course, as always, if we get uh, callers, we will uh, take them first, but um, we're going to solve some problems today. We're going to think about some of the problems that occur commonly with uh, behaviorally challenging kids at school, and we're going to think about, and this was suggested to me by someone at a training I did this past week in Moncton, New Brunswick, um, where people are trying very hard to implement the collaborative problem-solving approach. Um, But it was suggested to me that maybe one of these uh, web-based radio programs should focus on uh, specific unsolved problems. And um, I think that's a pretty cool idea. So we're going to do that. Um, Now, that doesn't mean we can't do what uh, you want to do, because these are your 45 minutes. Uh, This is just me responding to a suggestion on the part of uh, somebody else. So, but if you're if you've got a student who you want to talk about, well, you should call in. Um, maybe that student's not responding very well to Plan B. Maybe you're having uh, difficulty uh, using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Maybe you're having difficulty getting your colleagues at school to buy in. Um, hey, any of those are fair game on this program. That's what this program is for, and that's what Lives in the Balance is for. Uh, the nonprofit dedicated to helping people understand challenging kids better and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach and, well, advocate on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their parents and teachers and caregivers. That's why we do this program every week. The call-in number is 646-727-2691. As always, if you're not the calling-in type, feel free to send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. So let's uh, let's think a little bit here. You know, there are the, the the unsolved problems of behaviorally challenging kids at school are, are not really usually all that unusual. They tend to be kind of the usual problems that uh, kids run into at school. It's just that the behaviorally challenging kids at school are reacting to those unsolved problems in a way that is more extreme than uh, other kids react to similar unsolved problems. So, you know, that's what gets a kid often 
sent to the principal's office. That's what often has a kid accessing the school discipline program. It's, it's not the fact that their unsolved problems are terribly unusual. You know, they're having trouble listening to a class discussion without being disruptive. They're having trouble raising their hand and not calling out answers. They're having trouble getting to work on a class assignment. They're having trouble staying at work on a class assignment. They're having difficulty getting along with peers. They are reacting to those difficulties in ways that are far more extreme than other kids. And, of course, if you've heard me speak lately, then you know that I refer to the specific conditions in which challenging episodes occur as occurring because of the clash of two forces. Force number one, lagging skills. Challenging kids are lacking crucial cognitive skills. Force number two, the world is demanding those skills. So whether this is poor impulse control or difficulty making transitions or difficulty getting along with one's peers, those lagging skills are going to be especially problematic in the conditions in which impulse control, making transitions, and getting along well with one's peers are expected. When a kid is lacking those skills, then the likelihood of a challenging episode has been greatly increased. And because challenging kids are lacking crucial skills, their chances of exhibiting a challenging episode, that the chances that the clash of the two forces will occur in those kids is higher. And there, ladies and gentlemen, is the primary difference between behaviorally challenging kids and kids who are less behaviorally challenging. What do the ones who are less behaviorally challenging have that the ones who are behaviorally challenging don't? Skills. Skills. So, Let's think about this for a second. I, I apologize in advance for the fact that um, the answer to how to solve the problem is going to be the same, irrespective of what unsolved problem we're working on. Here we go. Step number one, let's gather people together to... Think about what skills this particular challenging student might be lacking. Let's stay in that meeting. We'll spend about 20 minutes on that. Let's stay in our meeting and think about what specific, and I mean highly specific, unsolved problems are reliably and predictably setting in motion this particular student's challenging episodes. Then... Let's prioritize which ones we're going to work on first because you can't work on everything at once. Many have tried working on everything at once and had very little to show for their efforts because you can't work on everything at once. Both you and the behaviorally challenging kid are going to get overwhelmed. And plus, if you're working on everything at once, that's going to make it very hard to keep track of what you actually are working on and you run the risk of doing what we might call willy-nilly collaborative problem solving, which is that you're solving one problem this day, another problem another, another problem another, and so on and so forth, and you end up getting none of them solved because you're working on too many at once. Let's figure out what two or three unsolved problems we're going to start working on with this behaviorally challenging student. Let's pull out our Plan B flow chart and enter in which unsolved problems we're working on, who's going to work on them with this student, and let's get this show on the road. So 
I can't emphasize enough how important it is to go through that process before um, you get started. Not that doing casual collaborative problem solving every once in a while is a tragedy. It's not. Just that you don't want to be the lone ranger. You want to do this as part of a concerted, organized, systematic effort uh, in your building. Otherwise, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be some people doing collaborative problem solving, other people not. We haven't really come to view the kid through a common set of lenses. We haven't organized the effort and thought about which lagging skills, which unsolved problems are coming into play, which ones we want to be working on, who's doing what. That's the hard part. Got to organize the effort. Otherwise, you run the risk of being the Lone Ranger, and I don't know if you want to be the Lone Ranger. In fact, I know you don't want to be the Lone Ranger. So let's let's take an unsolved problem. Let's say that we decided to work on completing a particular assignment. Let's say it's a writing task in science. Now, don't say I didn't warn you. Please don't say I didn't warn you, but the answer to all of these is going to sound exactly the same, but of course, that's the point. How to solve problems, the basic ingredients is exactly the same. First, we're going to make an appointment with the kid. We are not going to um, try to do this in the heat of the moment when the unsolved problem that we are working on with this kid pops up yet again. Too hot. And not enough time. We're going to make an appointment with him to discuss the unsolved problem. And we're going to be as specific as we possibly can be in the empathy step. We're going to try to gather as much information as we possibly can about why this student is having difficulty completing this particular assignment for science We're not going to be in a rush to complete the empathy step. We're going to drill well for information. If the student's initial response to our initial inquiry is, I don't know, or I don't have to talk to you, or it's not a problem for me, or you can't make me talk, we're going to weather those storms and find ways to reassure the student that not in trouble. We're not mad at him. We're not going to tell him what to do. We just want to understand. Then, once we are convinced that we have the clearest possible sense of the student's concern or perspective on this unsolved problem, we're going to enter our concern or perspective on the unsolved problem into consideration. We'll want to be specific about that, too. And then we're going to brainstorm with the student. After all, this is collaborative problem solving. We're going to brainstorm solutions that are realistic, meaning both parties can do what they're agreeing to, and mutually satisfactory, meaning the solution truly and logically addresses the concerns of both parties.
how many times are we going to need to meet with the student to come up with a solution? I don't know. Might might take you more than one meeting to get his concern or perspective on the table. But you don't want to move into the uh, brainstorming phase unless you do have a clear sense of the student's concern or perspective entered into consideration. Because if you don't have a clear sense of his concern or perspective entered into consideration, his concern or perspective will not be addressed and his problem will remain unsolved. We want to make sure that we, before we begin brainstorming, we have a clear sense of your concern or perspective entered into consideration. This problem will also remain unsolved if we don't have that. How are we going to make sure your concern gets addressed if we don't know what your concern is? This is why we're spending so much time in the empathy step and, and doing our due diligence in the empathy step and the define the problem step. We know that we need the clearest possible sense of the concerns of both parties. Then we're ready to start brainstorming solutions. And as I always say, when you're brainstorming, you want to make sure the kid knows. You want to prove it to him that you are as invested in making sure that his concern gets addressed as you are invested in making sure that your own concern addressed. He's unlikely to believe you initially. You'll have to prove it to him. But... That's how you'll end up solving that problem. Is the first solution you come up with likely to solve the problem durably? No. Well, any form of problem solving tends to be incremental. Well, I'm going to take that back. Unilateral problem solving is an incremental. Unilateral problem solving, plan A, is when you're just deciding the solution and imposing it on the kid, often with adult-imposed consequences attached, just to sweeten the deal or make things worse. That's how you solve that problem. But the first solution is unlikely to solve the problem durably. It takes, this isn't magic, this is hard. The difference between magic and hard, don't don't let anybody sell you magic. Working with challenging kids is hard. That's how you solve that problem. So um, what would it look like if you were trying to solve the problem of a student going to the bathroom uh, 27 times a day? Sorry, it's, it's the same three ingredients. What about a student who's um, having difficulty getting along with other kids on the playground? Sa- same three ingredients. What about a student who um, is getting in trouble on the school bus? Same exact three ingredients. Getting in trouble in the lunchroom? Same ingredients. Not getting along with the people in his work group? Same three ingredients. Coming into school in the morning, not ready for the school day. Perhaps he's hungry. Perhaps he's in a bad mood because of something that went on at home that morning and many mornings. It's the same three ingredients. We're getting the kid's concern or perspective entered into consideration. Otherwise, we won't know what we're working on. 
we are getting the adult concern of perspective entered into consideration. Otherwise, we won't know what we're working on. And then we are brainstorming solutions that address the concerns of both parties. Could I possibly be saying that we might have to address at school, yet at least in, a, in an indirect way, problems that emanate from home? That's right. Sometimes you can't do anything about problems that are occurring at home, but you can do something about what that student looks like when he arrives at school five days a week, six hours a day, nine months out of the school year. That you can do something about. Okay, what about a student who is balking at receiving reading help? Same three ingredients. A student who visits the pencil sharpener 17 times during every writing period. Same three ingredients. A student who seldom shows up at school. Same three ingredients on the day when he or she does show up at school. Wow, this is so different than just sending the kid to the office and meeting out discipline. Well, yeah, it is different. It's, um, it's different. That's the good thing. We need to be doing something different. Uh, these are the students we lose because the ways we often intervene don't help a lot of these students and aren't needed for the ones who are having no difficulty behaving themselves. Are there any unsolved problems that I wouldn't apply? Oh, no, let's, let's go with a big one. Let's go with a biggie. A student who brings a weapon to school and the school discipline program says policies say he must be suspended for a certain period of time. Well, I guess you're probably going to have to do what the policy says. Then, do what works. So if you have to do plan A because you're school discipline program says do plan A, then I guess you're going to have to do plan A, although I must say I've seen many school administrators fudge the school discipline program when they knew full well that it wasn't going to accomplish anything. I've seen it. Don't worry, I'm not going to say where. If you have to do plan A, then do plan A. If that's what the policy says you have to do, do it. Then do what's going to work. First do what you have to do, and then do what you think is going to work. Plan B. Otherwise, all we're doing is what we have to do, and we're not doing anything that we think will work. And there's the recipe for losing a kid. I cannot stand losing kids, especially when 
it's clear that there's a better way. Three remarkably potent ingredients that can be applied to the... Well, I'm having trouble thinking of any problem that the three ingredients wouldn't be applied to. Maybe maybe you can come up with something. Uh, the call-in number, once again, uh, 646-727-2600. Let's go to an email. Uh, It's entitled CPS and Lone Rangers. Only going to read part of the email because, um, well, Dr. Green, I've been trying to implement collaborative problem solving in my building. We have some deans in some of our schools who are trying not to implement punitive measures like detentions. Many of the teachers in these schools are at a loss and are complaining about this. The deans are keeping stats on who they see and really nothing effective is being done for the frequent flyers who are sent to them. Parent meetings are called. They talk to the kids about what brings them to the dean and administrative meetings take place with no real action. There are a few teachers who are diehard disciplinarians who insist on punitive measures, but the vice principals are not in support of this for the chronically troubled kids. Well, good. Good. We have some people in the building and some key people in the building on board. But this teacher is also saying... um, I decided to do whatever I could to find other people in my school who were willing to study CPS and use it and work with me to meet on a voluntary basis, implementing it with only one or two targeted students. Although many people in my school listen to me describe CPS and even have seen me doing Plan B in action with my students, not one has followed up to actually study it and follow through. Meanwhile, my school is in a kind of crisis of sorts. We've taken away much of the punitive stuff and not replaced it with any alternative. That's a very good way to... That's that's, that's the recipe for a crisis. This is still the email from the teacher. I've been doing CPS alone with about six kids. I've been communicating with their teachers, and in a few cases I have teachers who are having... Plan B type conversations with the kids. I'm seeing positive progress with these kids, but it's impossible to do this alone. I myself have gotten much better at doing Plan B. The kids I'm working with appreciate the process, and slowly I'm bringing the kids on to approach me or at least meet me halfway. Kids who avoided me last year are more open now. My idea was to do what I could and to document the kids' progress as a means of validating CPS. Our school system is still of the belief that CPS is for psychiatric social workers and not validated by research, especially not for teachers to implement. Actually, the CPS model is validated by research. What do you suggest? Uh, Wow. Um, Number one, I cannot tell you how many emails like this I receive from people who believe so fervently in doing the right thing by kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. 
and who are really devoting themselves to the challenge and the effort. And it's not atypical to bump into um, roadblocks and resistance and the fact that things Schools are not set up to be for, for the type of structure required to do collaborative problem solving. But that, to me, means we have two choices. We can change our structure, or we can continue losing these kids. And the change in structure benefits everybody, not just these kids, The good news is that it sounds like we have some school leaders on board. And um, consistent with my belief that leaders got to lead, I think that what this teacher is learning is that she can't do it alone. That's why this email is called CPS and Lone Rangers. Um, you're bumping into many of the things that people bump into when the effort hasn't been organized in a way that permits people to support each other and that um, helps people work together as a team to do this in a school. But the silver lining is that although you are bumping up against those roadblocks and although it's not atypical for many facilities to come to the recognition that Plan A isn't getting the job done and the old punitive system of discipline and getting the job done. And yes, sometimes coming to that realization makes us stop doing plan A and stop implementing the traditional school discipline program before we have anything else to take its place. And that can get rocky. And I'm not even sure that that's the ideal strategy. When I'm working with schools, I'm actually not usually telling them to drop plan A completely initially because then they got nothing to take its place. I'm usually telling them to start hitting it hard on doing Plan B and getting good at Plan B so that um, there's not this vacuum of what are we doing with these kids. The silver lining is that we have uh, school administrators who seem to be on board, and school administrators form the nucleus of a core group, a CPS team. In a school, this is eight or nine people, starting with the principal, assistant principal. It sounds like this building has two of those. Uh, the two or three people who work with challenging kids in the building, so it sounds like our emailer is going to be part of the core group. My bet is that she's, or he, I don't want to use identifying information, even though I probably just did, uh, uh, he or she is dying to uh, be part of a core group. And then we're going to assemble, as still part of our core group, four other teachers, two of whom who, as I've said before, we think are going to take to collaborative problem solving like bees to honey, and two of whom we think are going to break out in hives at the mere thought of doing this, collaborating, with challenging kids, the mere thought of 
taking a kid's concern or perspective seriously, the mere thought of trying to work in concert with the student to come up with solutions that work for both parties once the concerns of both parties have been identified and clarified, who break out in hives at the thought that we're not going to be punishing this kid anymore. Sometimes we have to point out to people that all that punishment the kid has endured so far hadn't done a thing good, hasn't been productive. Sometimes you got to point out the obvious. That kid's been in trouble a long time. The more trouble he gets in, the more trouble he gets in. The more we use Plan A, the more we use Plan A. The more he accesses the school discipline program, the more he accesses the school discipline program. The more office referrals he gets, the more office referrals he gets. It's not about wait until the message gets through. The message about how you want the student to behave is already through. The fact that he's going to suffer consequences for actions that are in violation of our discipline code, he's clear on that too. It's not that he's missing the motivation. It's not that he's missing the information. What he's missing is the skills. And suspension, detention, and expulsion don't teach those skills and don't solve the problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion the students' challenging episodes. So my recommendation, not understanding your situation completely, emailer, my recommendation is that you and your assistant principals or deans, whatever they're called, uh, that you all get yourself a core group together. And your assistant principals are probably in a position administratively to invite people into the mix. And your core group is going to do all kinds of important stuff. It's going to set goals. It's going to set benchmarks. It's going to set timelines for when are we going to have the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and the Plan B flowchart integrated into our existing assessment mechanisms and tracking mechanisms in our building. What what new communication mechanisms are needed to make this fly in our building? Who are we going to start with? Which frequent flyers do we want to start doing Plan B with ASAP? That's what I'd recommend, because there is a vacuum when you, well, when you realize that what you've been doing isn't working, but you're not good at what you think you ought to be doing yet, um, that's hard. And it, it can get ugly before it gets better. And it's never-ending. I was reading uh, Time Magazine this past week, but I think it was Time Magazine from a few weeks ago, they had this uh, story on Stephen Hawking, who was uh, talking about how the universe has no end and is constantly unfolding. I might have said this last week, I can't remember. Helping behaviorally challenging students in your school is constantly unfolding and never-ending. The collaborative problem-solving universe is always unfolding. 
because there's always going to be a behaviorally challenging kid, no matter what school you're in. If you're in elementary school, he came to you from preschool. If you're in junior high school or middle school, he came to you from elementary school. If you're in senior high school, hooey, got a lot of challenging kids who've piled up over time, and their unsolved problems have piled up as well. Going to do this one student and one unsolved problem at a time, or maybe two or three unsolved problems at a time. But we've got to get this show on the road. And if we, well, we're going to go through some hard times, and it's going to take us a while to get good at Plan B. And you know what I spend most of my time thinking about is how to get more resources out there for people who want to know how to do Plan B. More in the pipeline. But, you know, we got to pat people like this emailer on the back because he or she is trying and inviting people into the mix and asking them to join with him or her. And there's no takers, but that's why sometimes administrators can be helpful, leaders who lead can be helpful. So, good that the punitive measures are dying, but we've got to replace what we were doing with something better. Otherwise, what we were doing, well, people are going to start making the argument that no matter what we ought to be doing, things weren't ever this bad when we were doing what wasn't working. Uh, Maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's because suspension and detention were so popular that we didn't really see a whole lot of the challenging kids. We weren't fixing anything. We just got rid of them. Getting rid of behaviorally challenging kids so you do not see them is not effective intervention. Not for them. And not the message we want to be sending to the other kids either. It's so tragic. We understand so much now about why challenging kids are challenging. We've got to make sure that information gets out there. Otherwise, we will continue treating the behaviorally challenging kids in our midst in ways that are extremely ineffective, counterproductive, and causes us to lose them. Well, that's that's why I created Lives in the Balance, so that we could stop losing them. And that's why I'm putting so much energy into the effort. And congratulations to our emailer for putting energy into the effort as well. Emailer, you're running into many of the things that many people who are in your position do when they are trying to do right by challenging kids. Um, keep it up and let me know how Lives in the Balance can be helpful. Uh, By the way, you want to be watching for changes to the Lives in the Balance website in about two weeks. It's going a little bit slower than I had hoped, but um, to our emailer as well as to the rest of you who are listening either live or uh, in the recorded version of the program, um, lots of changes coming and lots of ways for you to 
advocate on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their parents and teachers and other caregivers. I know you're hoping that I'll name another unsolved problem and see if it's the same three ingredients. All right. You don't have to twist my arm. What if a kid is bugging other students in the hallway and getting into trouble for it? Same three ingredients. What if a student is not completing all his or her homework? Same three ingredients. I mean, it's the same three ingredients. We need to find out what's getting in the kid's way, what the kid's concern or perspective is on that unsolved problem. We need to figure out, we need to make sure the student understands our concern or perspective. See, this is the cool part. The, the, the very same concern that could lead you into plan A to impose your will, in the case of challenging kids, to set in motion challenging episodes. That exact same concern is getting addressed when you're using Plan B. With Plan A, you are learning absolutely nothing about the student's concern or perspective on the unsolved problem you're trying to solve. You're learning nothing. The only the only way Plan A works is through sheer force of your will, often with adult-imposed consequences attached. That's going to set in motion a challenging episode and a challenging kid, and it's going to teach a not-so-challenging kid that might makes right. Well, might doesn't make right, so I don't know why you'd want to do that, and I don't know why you'd want to intervene in the case of a challenging kid in a way that only sets in motion challenging episodes and doesn't teach them the skills they're lacking and doesn't solve the problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion their challenging episodes. I don't know why you'd want to do that. All right. Well, we already did bring in a weapon to school. Should we do one or two more? Because then we're going to be out of time here. What about a student who gets so mad at his teacher that he runs out of the classroom? Same three ingredients. Well, we got to we got to we got to figure out under what conditions over what unsolved problems he's running out of the classroom. Uh, otherwise, we don't know what we're working on, right? Running out of the classroom is what he's doing when he's looking bad. It's what he's doing when there's an unsolved problem that's still unsolved, but it's... We've got to do proactive plan B. We've got to... The, 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 I don't want to do that when he's in the midst of running out of the classroom... I don't want to do it right as we've grabbed him and caught him and plunked him down in the principal's office, just like the beginning story and lost at school. That's bad timing. I want to do it proactively, but it's the same three ingredients. Oh, what if the student is running out of the classroom? What if he's calling his teacher a name? It's the same three ingredients. In response to what unsolved problem is the student calling the teacher a name? Who's going to do Plan B with him proactively? 
Let's gather our information and figure out what unsolved problems are setting in motion teacher name-calling. Now, do you hear me saying that calling a teacher a name is a good thing? No, calling a teacher a name is a bad thing. It's unacceptable. Now, we all agree it's unacceptable. Now, we're either going to intervene in a way that actually solves the problem, or we're going to intervene in ways that... Uh, that, that don't solve the problem, in which case he's still going to be calling the teacher names. I thought we wanted to solve this problem so he isn't calling the teacher names. I, I don't know how to do that except for the same three ingredients. Empathy, define the problem, the invitation. In other words, Gather information about the student's concern or perspective on the unsolved problem. Do this proactively. Put your concern or perspective on the table and then come up with solutions that work for both of you and that you can both do. Why do so many of the unsolved problems of the challenging students in our midst remain unsolved? Because in too many places, we're still not applying those three ingredients. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I even heard Bill Belichick, coach of the New England Patriots, uh, waxing philosophical about Thanksgiving yesterday. Uh, not what we usually hear from Bill, but he was talking about how thankful he is to be a coach in the NFL, how thankful football players are to be playing football in the NFL, how Thanksgiving is one of those times of years um, where people feel good. Hope this program today has made you feel a little better about working with behaviorally challenging students. Um, I'm thankful that uh, you're out there listening and that, like our emailer today, you are out there giving challenging kids everything you got because that's how we're going to change things for the better for a population of kids that is still very poorly understood and still very poorly treated. So here's me thanking you for doing what you're doing, for listening, and for tuning in. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Enjoy your time with uh, friends and families, and if you're going to eat turkey, I hope you enjoy that too. And uh, we'll be back next week with another rendition of collaborative problem solving at school. I hope you'll join in then. Have a wonderful holiday.